Okay, thank you very much. I'm glad you could all make it. Um, this is my first talk at Republica. So, um, so far, I've only ever been a spectator at these talks. I'm glad to be with you and talking to you. Um, so what am I here to talk about? So the talk of my title, possibly slightly provocative title, uh, um, Teach Our Kids to Code? No, first teach them how to think. Um, basically, I'm here to make a case. Um, the case I want to make is that this phenomenon in, uh, in IT education that we've seen in the last few years called Teach Kids to Code is worthwhile. Um, it's a noble cause. I think it's good. But I also think that something is missing. And I, have a, I have a, want to make a case that, um, for what we should um, add to it to make it even better. So... Uh, just quickly what I'll talk about, um, I want to um, give you a brief overview of how we got here, um, which is basically a history of how we try to teach kids IT and uh, computing in the past. And then, um, so if you, don't, if you don't already know what Teach Kids to Code is all about, you'll, you'll find out. And then I'll go through some of the problems, I think, um, that there is um, with this approach, Teach Kids to Code. Um, I'm mostly going to rely on other commentators in industry and academia to kind of make the arguments for me. I'll just quote them. I just happen to agree with these people. And then I'll come to the, uh, the how to think part of um, the talk. The how to think part is this thing called computational thinking, which is um, an idea that aims to fill in what's missing with the teach kids to code. So. But first of all, um, just a little bit about me, uh, just if you're wondering who am I and why should I listen to this guy. Um, so I'm a software developer. That's me in my early professional days, surrounded by some of the latest technology. Um, I've worked at software companies, very big, very small, even co-founded uh, co my own a few years ago. I'm a teacher, um, so I had a stint in academia uh, for a few years. I was a researcher, but also taught um, novice university students who had never written a line of code before, taught them how to program. I've also taught at the other end, the other extreme, um, in corporate settings with very, very advanced people um, who probably knew more than me about the subject I was teaching them. And also, uh, I'm a writer. I didn't have a picture of myself writing, so I had to kind of make one up. Um, <laughs> but writing is something that takes up more and more of my time these days um, I've just finished my second book which coincidentally is about computational thinking um, ask me more later if you want to know okay so let's get to the meat of the talk uh, the story so far um, so perhaps the first or earliest attempts to teach coding to kids uh, in schools was um, this idea that came from Seymour Puppet who was a pioneer in education um, at the MIT Media Lab the idea was um, a playful approach to learning programming, using this thing called logo programming, which was a kind of programming language um, which allowed the student to control a pen, sometimes called the turtle, because it was um, sometimes a physical turtle with a little pen in its stomach. Uh, other times it was a virtual turtle, but whatever. You gave it commands like move forward, move, turn right, pen down, pen up, and as a result of giving it commands, you could instruct it to make pictures. That included things like looping, so uh, draw a line, turn right, draw a line, turn right, and so on. And you've drawn a square, um, for example. Make decisions, so if 
something is, is the case, do that, otherwise do that, and so on. These are things which you should recognize maybe from coding if you know how to program. Um, and the idea was that this would encourage children to become apprentice epistemologists, give them um, problem-solving skills which would serve them in life, um, something that Papert sometimes called procedural thinking. Um, however, when the research um, looked into whether this actually worked, whether the goals were actually met, um, control tests were kind of conflicted about the outcomes. Um, children didn't necessarily leave with transferable skills um, coming from this um, approach. And um, it kind of failed to become a linchpin in IT education. Um, I never encountered it, for example, throughout my time in uh, schools in the UK. Um, I should point out that I, I probably have a, an anglophone bias in this presentation. I'm familiar with UK and US education, um, not so much um, other places in the world. So what happened after that? So we're up to the 1990s now, 2000s. Um, so we kind of dropped the idea of teaching uh, logo, pretty much dropped it. And the goal was now to teach children to use common applications. Um, so they'd be learning typical apps like word processors, spreadsheets, databases. Um, my final year IT project um, was to build a Microsoft Access database with mail merge in Word, not a single, single line of, of code. Um, and later on, I took the ECDL. Um, anybody take the ACD, ECDL? No, that's the European Computer Driving License. <laughs> yeah, it always gets a laugh. Uh, which certified me um, that I could use Microsoft products. Woohoo, yeah, thank you. Lucky old me. Um, but laughing aside, I guess it's kind of a noble intent. After all, children should be proficient in using these basic tools. You know, word processing and spreadsheets can be powerful. Um, but it has to be admitted that it makes children rather passive users of computers and quite dependent on applications made by the wealthiest corporations on the planet. Um, so we said, okay, let's not make um, our kids passive users. Let's make them empowered controllers of computers. Let's teach them to code. Let's do things like teach them programming languages, like Python. Python is a relatively friendly uh, programming language. Let's give them fun environments like Scratch. Uh, anybody heard of Scratch? Oh, that's good. So um, Scratch is... Um, is a much more, more colourful, um, friendly um, sort of programming environment where the kids can uh, kind of almost drag and drop and snap little pieces of algorithms together. Um, and they learn things like what if statements are and while loops and variable assignments and things like that. Um, I like it. In some respects, it's, um, it goes back to the spirit of Seymour Papert, project-led, project -led, fun, um, dealing with concrete things rather than abstract ideas. Um, but I also worry that it's not the whole story. Um, and by itself, it's not going to help an awful lot. It's not going to do an awful lot to educate children. Um, for instance, how do we make sure we don't make the same mistakes as before, where, okay, the kids may learn some you know, cool stuff with for loops and if statements, um, but it doesn't really give them transferable skills, it doesn't give them inspiring new ways to think about the world. Um, sort of phrased in my own words, how to make sure it doesn't just teach but it also educates. Um, and it turns out I'm not alone. 
Um, when I look into this, I see a lot of writers, uh, commentators from industry and education who um, I happen to agree with, who are making very similar arguments. Um, I should add a disclaimer here. I'm not advocating that we take away the code from the kids. Um, I'm not saying that we stop, <laughs> stop teaching coding. Um, I like that uh, kids are being taught code. I'm a computer scientist. I like that. Um, I just think there's a little bit missing. And what's missing is connecting the coding with problem solving. So here are a, a series of things which uh, other commentators have said, and I'll kind of summarize here for you. Um, one criticism which comes up again and again is, is code really the best universal language, you know, the, uh, the right language to discuss these ideas? Um, Kip Bradford, another MIT Media Lab uh, research scientist, points out that the programming landscape is very broad, uh, very varied, very complex. There are hundreds of languages um, of different levels of complexity, different paradigms, different ways of programming. Is it really the best approach to choose one particular one of these um, and use that as the, as the way into um, the ideas behind programming? Um, Gottfried Zeringer, CEO of uh, Mendix, points out that the code is actually um, the end product of this whole process. Um, there's a whole lot more to some, something like what I do, um, programming computers to coding. There's a lot more to it. Um, also, we are instinctually visual creatures. Is it really best to use code to express ideas? Maybe, perhaps, as Gottfried Seringer says, we should teach them uh, how to visually express these ideas, how to visually express logic, a kind of true drag-and-drop programming, perhaps. Um, another thing that gets pointed out, who is really benefiting from this idea of how to teach kids to code? Um, Anil Dash, who is CEO of Fog Creek Software, argues that um, teach kids to code is being pushed by policymakers who, for a large part, are quite ignorant of technology. Um, code is something they know about, so that's what they push. Um, however, as I just mentioned a minute ago, coding is not quite the same as coding. Now, by coding, I mean so what I mean by coding on the right here is just writing the code. But coding, the, the thing we, we, we take to mean um, the, the, the entire activities of a programmer, a very small proportion of that is to do with actually writing code. Um, what perhaps policymakers um, don't realize is that um, co coding, the actual activity of coding, um, of programming um, is less to do with coding than it is to do with problem solving. There's a whole lot of pro problem solving goes on before we write one line of code. Um, in addition to that, Dash also says, um, argues that we are teaching, uh, teaching coding results in really an assembly line of programmers with a narrow set of skills, which satisfy maybe good uh, for big tech companies, good for them, uh, but not so good for the rest of society. Um, in other words, we, will we just end up creating code monkeys for some of the wealthiest, most powerful companies on earth, all paid for by you, the taxpayer. And uh, a couple more commentators here um, who have, who, uh, this is probably the most 
important, I think, of the criticisms, to me certainly, is that we're maybe doing the pop version of teaching coding. Um, teaching the tool is easy, so teaching how to do the coding, that's the easy part. The, the difficult part is um, teaching the skills and behind the tool. Um, Edith Harrell, also in my team, Media Lab, um, where she worked with Seymour Papert, um, has criticised um, the teaching how to how to code as a as a kind of a shallow response um, to the need for coders. It's um, she argues it's imparting no deep skill, and she refers to it as pop computing. Um, Attila Vego, a software developer and writer, says that. Uh, coding has become pop culture, um, which underestimates how hard it actually is. Um, although the hard part isn't learning to code. The hard part is learning the skills uh, that come before the coding. Um, he used a, um, a metaphor which kind of inspired my own, which is if I learn musical notation, does that mean that I understand how to write my own music or even understand how music works? I mean, I learned how to read music when I was in school, but believe me, I'm no musician. I, I can't hardly play a note. Um, but there's a pattern in all these criticisms which you keep seeing, and it's that um, these commentators are uh, calling for something additional. Don't teach just the code, they say. Um, teach the concepts and the problem-solving skills behind the coding. Um, again, so Attila Vego says that programming requires analyti analytical thinking and a problem-solving attitude. Amil Dash, um, teach, comput teach computational thinking. We need to ensure that young people can understand the way that human concerns are translated into problems that computers can help to solve. And we need um, to teach in a transferable way. Every line of work from farming to fashion to marketing can be improved by being deeply technologically literate. It's possible to teach computer science in a way where it amplifies the interests and ambitions that young people have in any discipline. And Edith Harrell says that, uh, yes, millions of coders are needed today, but it may be more valuable for any person to be literate in computational thinking. Okay, so computational thinking, this term keeps coming up. So what is it? Um, I'll start with the academic tradition with uh, a definition. That is partly my background, I suppose. Academic. So it's an approach to problem solving. That's key, it's problem solving. It's a problem solving method that uses key ideas from computer science for formulating solutions that could be executed by a computer. Could be. These could also be executed by a person, but they, they, they can also be executed by a machine. Um, go a little bit deeper and to just discuss what the key ideas is. There are roughly um, half a dozen uh, key ideas to computational thinking. A uh, summary of uh, concepts and skills. One is logic and algorithms. This teaches the correct way to communicate with a computer. Uh, you can't rely on human-style communication um, because computers don't have common sense. You need common sense in order to understand human communication. Um, Problem decomposition. Uh, this is the way of, this is a strategy for tackling a problem. 
And what you do is you, you take, a, a, take a large problem which by itself is difficult or impossible to solve. So you break it down into a series of smaller sub-problems. And some of those sub-problems may be broken down further into sub-sub-problems and so on and so on. Until at the end you have a kind of a tree uh, of um, problems and sub-problems. And the ones at the very bottom are the, are the sub-problems sub which you think you can solve just in one go. So what you have is a kind of um, almost like a, a, a task set of, of things you need to do in order to solve your original problem from the top of the tree. Um, the next thing is pattern recognition. Um, this is what you do when you have broken down your problem into uh, lots of component parts, and then you look for patterns among those parts, and they help you to simplify the eventual solution. And they feed into the next part, which is... Um, generalization and abstractions, you turn those patterns into um, the vocabulary of your solution. Um, you may also make your, solution, your, your um, solution applicable to other situations, so you can reuse what you learn, uh, what, you, what you work out. Or you might spot something that was already done in a previous problem, and you can reuse that in your solution. Um, at this point, you can start to model a solution in detail. Um, and now you have something which you can code. See, notice that only now, you know, at the end, do we actually get to the, to get to the coding. Um, and once you've coded it, you then need the skills to um, evaluate whether it is actually a good solution. You know, does it actually work? Is it correct? Is it efficient? Is it easy to use? Is it secure? And so on. Now, I don't have much time to go into detail of what um, any of these uh, entail. You know, in, in a lot of detail, but I can go through a few examples just to give you a flavor. That's what I'll do now. Um, so one thing I do, um, here's an example from algorithms which I've done before with uh, people who have never programmed before and they're learning how to program. And it's to get into the, the, the mode of thinking for how to write algorithms. And it's the peanut butter and jam sandwich game. Uh, peanut butter jelly sandwich if you're American. Uh, but we use British English today. Um, so what you, what you do is you ask the, the uh, students to write down instructions for how to make a peanut butter and jam sandwich. And so you have the ingredients all lined up on your table, a loaf of bread, two jars, and a knife, and a plate. And they write out some kind of solution. It maybe looks something like that. So open the bread, take it out, put the peanut butter on the bread, and uh, put the jam on the bread, and so on. And then you can kind of have fun with this, because... Um, You've, you've told them beforehand that this is for a computer. Um, so you then take the solution and you behave. You get to have fun. You get to be really pedantic um, and just follow the instructions really literally. So when they say things like, you know, open the bread, well, I just take the packet of bread and rip it apart or take a slice of bread and just rip it and open it like that. Or when they say, put the peanut butter on the, on the, on the bread, I just take a slice of bread and take the jam take the peanut butter jar and just put it on the bread like that. I once had a student, I had a chopping board, and a student said, put the, put the bread on the board. And so I took the piece of bread and put it on the whiteboard like that. You can just have, have some fun with this and get really pedantic. One of my favorite things to do is be pedantic. Um, and then you can kind of feed back and say, okay, you've got to be a lot more precise, you've got to be a much less ambiguous, you've got to, you've got to be... Um, You've got to be algorithmic, and they kind of they start to learn the difference between talking to a human and uh, instructing a computer. 
Um, and then you know, this is going to be easily, this can start to be translated into code you know, later on down the line. Another example is pattern recognition. Um, so just to take an example, a fairly simple example, um, building up an image, let's say a smiley face. So um, you, want to, you want the student to um, build up a set of instructions for drawing an image. Well, that's kind of, it's, it's, it's not trivial. Um, there are multiple steps in this. So you have to break it down, and you have to do the decomposition. Um, and that breaks down into several parts. You know, so I have some kind of smiley face here. Um, whoops. And what, what you find is that, okay, that there's actually a very small number of, of components to this. There's a, a large circle for the face. Um, there's two sets of um, pairs of circles you know, for the eyes, a big one for the outside and a small one for the pupils. Um, notice there's a bit of looping in there, so do this twice. And then an arc for the mouth. And that's... Um, and that's, that's, that's an application of both decomposition and pattern recognition. Um, and they can next then learn that they can build up complexity from this. They can reuse the same abstractions um, to achieve similar goals. So whether it's um, a sad face, they can just adjust the arc. A bemused face, they can start using straight lines. A face which looks suspiciously like a copyrighted character if you're not too careful you can use the same components. Now, these, um, these become the components of not just smiley faces, but any kinds of images, not just faces. Um, and you know, imagine the complexity that you could build up. And I think in the time I've got, um, all I can really do is ask you to imagine. Um, I haven't been able to tell you a lot of detail but I can um, kind of whet your appetite, maybe, um, get you to look at computational thinking, learn more about it, and then imagine. Imagine now children armed with a predictable, repeatable, problem-solving approach that enables our children to uh, learn how to think of problems in general, abstract terms, to be able to turn those into instructions that a computer can understand. Um, to realize that the key to handling problems is to break them down into solvable pieces rather than be overwhelmed by complexity and just give up. Um, to learn that this, this approach to problem solving is iterative. You know, you have to, there are multiple successive versions of your attempts to solve the problems. Um, not only that, but once they have a problem solving approach like that, it means that once they've come up with the solution, it's ready to be plugged into technology and executed automatically. It's like a plug-and-play solution. Um, so to close up, um, it's still uh, a relatively young idea, computational thinking. It has inspirations that go back quite a long way, but uh, certainly the idea has only been around for about a decade. Um, and as recently as the beginning of this decade, there were still conferences uh, that were held to determine exactly what computational thinking was, what it meant. Um, and so it's, it's, a, it's a fairly new approach. Um, as such, um, I think we still need to gather evidence on its efficacy, you know, whether it really actually has the outcomes we would like it to have. Um, we also need to make sure, I think, that it preserves the spirit of Seymour Papert. Um, I think somebody, I forget the name, uh, rightly pointed out that maybe we are forgetting that, as Papert said, we should emphasize playfulness 
we should make it project before problem, which is to say that the children should have some concrete thing they want to achieve uh, and not some problem um, imposed on them, and not a problem um, to do with abstract things, but more concrete things that they can you know, really get to grips with. Um, I think we also need to sell it a little better. Um, it's been described by some people um, who have been pushing this idea as how to think like a computer scientist. Now, is that, that's not really very appealing to me, I think. Um, to non-computer scientists, um, maybe it's not very inviting if someone says, hey, you could think like a computer scientist. <laughs> no, thanks. If someone says to me, you could think like a lawyer. Oh, no, thanks. Probably is quite good for me sometimes to be able to think like a lawyer, but yeah, sell it to me a different way. Um, and also I think um, one last thing we should do is um, maybe quit being so grand and imperialistic about it. If you, you read um, what some people are trying to push the idea, uh, it gives the impression that all these ideas just originate with computer science. Well, they don't. A lot of, a lot of these ideas come from outside computer science, logic, um, modeling, abstractions, people have been doing that long before computer science. And people do that in other fields. Um, scientists do that, engineers do that, you know, all sorts of different um, um, fields use the ideas that, that are included in computational thinking. Um, and that's kind of an important, it kind of feeds into this final thought, which is that um, it's this wide applicability. Um, and this is a quote from Stephen Wolfram, who's another computer scientist, who says that if you pick any field X, from archaeology to zoology, there is now either a computational X or there soon will be. Um, in other words, the ability to think computationally is going to infiltrate a huge variety of professions in future. Um, and so I think that teaching it to the kids um, is a good way to prepare them. This is something um, I'm very interested in, as I mentioned earlier, I just finished a book about this. Um, if anybody wants to talk to me about that, you can either uh, grab me in person today or you can find me out in the virtual world. I hang out in various places. Um, yeah, so if anyone wishes to know more, please grab me. Uh, I'm happy to take any questions, but for now, thank you very much for listening. Three more minutes for questions. Any? Yes. Can we meet in the middle? <laughs> okay. Uh, hi, sorry, this is a very basic question, but um, from what age do you think it's best to start with computational thinking? I think there's no reason why it cannot start in some form in primary school. In fact, um, in the UK, um, it kind of does. Not computational thinking itself, but um, if you just Google UK IT syllabus, something like that, curriculum, sorry, um, you should find um, the first or second result should be something like the, the government's uh, breakdown of what's called in the UK key stages. Key stage one is I think children up to seven, key stage two is children up to 11, key stage three is children up to 14, I think. Key stage one includes very basic things about algorithms. Um, and 
some of these ideas are just intuitive. Some of them are not, but some of them are intuitive. And so um, I don't think there's any reason why we can start quite, really quite young. Yes. Maybe, um, is it something that should be taught in, in math and in English and everywhere, or should it have its own, its own course? That's a good question. Um, I would imagine it, it's one of these funny subjects which it's, it's a kind of a universal thing. Um, so it's difficult to put it in its own box, if you like. You know, it applies to so many things. Um, my instinct at the moment would be to say it gets its own subject. Um, but maybe, maybe someone has a different idea about that. Yeah. So one more minute, so I'll put my question on. Uh, you know the situation probably in, in Great Britain, in the UK, yep. and I sometimes have the feeling that in Germany we point to the UK and say, look, they are doing it in an excellent <laughs> way. What's your inside view? Um, I have worked with the British Computer Society for a while now. Uh, they have a, an organization within the organization called Computing at School, CAS, C-A-S. Um, and that kind of pushes these ideas of computing in schools in the UK. But they've now started opening up hubs around the world. And they just opened one in Berlin last year, and I worked with them. Um, and that's why I wanted to stress that I know the UK and the US best, but I know that Germany had its own problems with regards to IT education. Um, I, work, you know, I worked in setting up this hub. Um, perhaps one person I could recommend to you if you want to know more about this is Anamika Ackerman. I hope I pronounced that right. She, uh, she's in charge of the CAS Berlin hub. And if you're not familiar with problems in Germany of IT education, I'm not an expert. Um, in the UK, it's, it's very centralized. The curriculum is set and it applies to the whole system, the whole country. That's the system that I went through. But in Germany, uh, my my, to my knowledge, it's the case that it's state by state and it's sometimes school by school how they teach IT. Um, which can, you, know, you can get, on one hand, maybe a very, very good IT education, or you may get, or there may be schools with no IT teachers. And if a school wants to teach IT, they have to, um, you know, one has to volunteer, and they, you know, they train in some, some IT, and then, then they can teach the kids. Um, so there are challenges of your own in Germany. Okay. Yep. So, thank you all for coming, and thank you, Carl Beecher. Thank you.